Amen. So good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to just make one quick announcement before I hop into uh, the message, and that is next Sunday is Mother's Day. Can we put our hands together for all the mamas? Amen. So thankful for that. So um, what I'm going to ask you to do is bring your mama, okay? So um, I don't want you going to her church. (laughs) I want you to bring her here. (laughs) So uh, go and pick up your mama and get her here, okay? Hashtag bring your mama, okay? So um, that's going to be next week. Uh, We're going to have a lot of fun uh, celebrating motherhood. And um, it's always a, a, a great time around here on Mother's Day. So we're so thankful for that. Um, I want us this morning, before I start, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. I want to pray over this this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your church. Thank you for an opportunity for us to just come and gather in your presence and to hear from you, to know you more. God, to take some time right now to just focus inwardly and upwardly and ask you to continue to transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, today we just pray that we would hear from you, and um, we thank you so much for our church, this family of faith, people that you've brought together um, to worship you, to grow together. And um, so we just give you a lot of honor for that, Jesus. Thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In our personal lives, there is often a question that we ask ourselves, and that question is, what's next? We ask this a, uh, a lot of ourselves, and it plays out in different phrases, but it ends up being like, like this. We will say things like, will I graduate? Is that what's next? Will I get married? Is that what's next? Am I going to have children? Is that what's next? Will I change careers? Will I be moving? Will I be a grandparent? Will I be taking care of my my parents? Will I ever retire? These are things where we want to talk about what's next. And in some way, we're asking ourselves constantly, what's the next thing for us to go after? What's the next page going to say? what is written in the next chapter. And we will often, uh, based upon our passions, start to create what those nexts look like. And so we do it often personally, but we don't do it enough spiritually. We don't ask ourselves the question, what's next, near enough in our spirit. And so there are a lot of Christians who once upon a time were broken people, and they received Christ, and they were water baptized, they went public with their faith, and they began this journey with Jesus. They started attending a church, maybe they hopped into a life group, or maybe for you it was a Sunday school. They gave some money, they taught some children, they went on an occasional missions trip. And they got older, and they passed on a baton to someone in their 20s, and now they only talk about what heaven is going to be like. And so this has been a cycle for Western culture for the past 150 years, and if we're being really honest, it's boring. 
when you look at just spiritually doing the same thing with the same expectation over and over and over, it becomes mundane. And suddenly your walk with Christ, the way you perceive your faith, gets boring. And what was once a vibrant adventure suddenly feels like a coffee conversation. Truth be told, some of you are here this morning and you are bored and you feel stuck and you've stopped asking what's next a long time ago. So to talk this out today, I want to use the story of the children of, of Israel. And when we say that, every single one of us know full well what this story means. We've all got our favorite part of it. Um, we've all gleaned something from this enormous story. It doesn't just take on chapters. This story takes on books. It is a very, very broad story. So broad that if the Old Testament were a line graph, the story of the children of Israel would be one of the, one of the biggest spikes in biblical history. And so you would see it. It would be one of those standout things. It would be something that really jumps off the page at, at you. And so I want to give you quickly just a recap on the book of Exodus and remind us of all that happened throughout out, out this book. So in chapter 1, Moses is born, and over that chapter, he grows up really quick. It only takes him one chapter. And so in chapter 2, he kills an Egyptian buries him in, in the sand. He's upset about, about what he's seen. Chapter 3, he has the burning bush experience. Chapter 5, he goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh declines it. Chapter 6, God tells Moses it's about to go down. Okay. Chapter 7 through 12, we see some incredible plagues. Okay, it's been a long time since we have seen, um, and if it's been a while since you visited this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap this with you as well because these things are terrible. So the first one is water into blood. All, all of their water systems turned in, into blood, so the water became un, undrinkable. The second thing were frogs. For some of you right then, you would have said, pack it up, get out of here, you guys are free to go. Okay, the third was lice, the whole, the whole community. Got, got lice. Four was flies. Fifth, all of their livestock was diseased. Six, boils. Seven, a hailstorm. Eight, locusts. Nine, three days of darkness. For some of you, this sounds like your first year of marriage, but it's not. This is just the Egyptian plagues I'm talking about. Okay? Ten was the death of the firstborn child. So after all of these terrible things, these ten terrible things, Pharaoh finally says, you're free to go. All right. So chapter 12, the exodus begins. Chapter 14, they cross the Red Sea. Chapter 16, manna falls from heaven. Chapter 17, water comes from a rock. This is also the second time that God provided supernatural water for them because the first time the water was bitter, and then the Lord cured that, and they were able to drink from it. So this is the first time water comes from a rock. Later on, they're going to do the same thing. Water's going to come from a rock again. Chapter 17, 
they, they fight their first battle. Joshua is down, down there leading, and Moses, as long as he's got his arms up with the rod of, of, of God, they are winning against the Amalekites, but he gets tired, and so they pull a rock up, and he sits down on it. Aaron and her each are on a hand. They're holding it up, and God defeats the Amalekites. Chapter 20, they get the first copy of the Ten Commandments because, as you know, Moses gets mad, throws them down, breaks them. Chapter 20 through 31, he gives them ways to live and ways to worship. This is important because they have been slaves, and so they don't know how to worship. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to have a life. They don't know how to, how to do family and everyday things. All they know at this point to do is how to make bricks. Okay, So God's having to teach them how to, how to live life. Chapter 33, God passes by Moses. Chapter 33, the command to leave Sinai. And then if you go on in, into Numbers chapter 14, they send the spies in, into Canaan. They come back. They say, I think we can take these people. Everybody's like, no, we don't want to do it. Can't we just be comfortable? And they're stricken with fear because all they know is slavery. So you got this huge unfolding transition for generations of people, right? And so I want to start by talking about this this morning in terms of what's next. And I want to give you the first thought is this. To know what's next, you have to know where you are now. Because next is tied in directly to now. There can't be a next without a now. And so when we think about that, you've got to know right now, where are you right now? Right now in this moment with your walk with God, where are you? Because it's very difficult for us to say, God, what's next for, for me when you don't even know where you are right now? When you're lost, when you're confused, when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you don't have a grip on faith, all of these things play into what's, what's going on for me next? What's the next thing for me to pursue in, in God? So it's very important to know exactly what's going on. I don't know if you've ever been lost, but the first question we tend to ask is, where am I? Where, where am I? It looks, it looks so foreign to me. How did I get here? And many times that plays out so well spiritually because we ask the same question. We look at our relationship with God and we say, where am I? How did I get here? How did I get into a place where I'm so complacent? How did I get into this? And I was studying this out and it was amazing to me to see this because as I begin to read it through this filter of boredom, a lot of our big characters of faith that we've preached about for years and years and, and years went through a season of being just bored where they were. And so it's not uncommon for us in our humanity or as followers of Christ to ask the question, how did I get here? How did I get in this place where worship is no longer vibrant for me? How did I get in this place to where, where I've closed my hands and now everything I have belongs to me? And, 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 and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to resource anybody, anything. It's, it's mine. How do, how do we get to that place? How do we get to where suddenly coming together as a body of believers happens one time a month? What, how, how did we get there? And so this is not an uncommon question. And when you're using a map on, on your phone, your location is often indicated by a red pin, by a red dot. It says, hey, you are here, 
And this is where you need to go. And so to get from red to blue, you've got to take a left up here in 100 yards. And sometimes if you use Siri, you get really tired of her because she's like, you know, error, turn around. Okay, I'm turning, you know, get back to the road I told you to go on. You're like, shut up. I've already got somebody in my life that tells me what to do. And so you're, you're, you're trying to, to move on. And so you're trying to go from red to blue. And, 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 but, but the red dot is very important because it says right now this is where you are. And so coming up in 50 feet or 100 yards or whatever, I need you to take a right. And then I need you to take a left and, then, and so on until you reach the next destination. So the red dot in our lives is very important. Where are we? Where are we right now? How do we feel right now? What's going on right now? And keep that conversation open with God rather than be like a, 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 blinded, a blindfolded person placed in a room just to feel their way around. Know where you are with it. I was lost in Memphis one time. And this was years ago, and when you cross the bridge, I, don't, I think the, even the highways there have changed, but when you came in, the exit number one was Danny Thomas Boulevard. And so um, if, if you turn left, that's the north main area, and the north main area, there was about a 50% chance at that time that you could stop safely for gas. So it was like, should I stop? Should I not stop? Should I stop? Should I not stop? And there's about a 50-50. Now, if you turn right, you go to Orange Mound, and there's a 95% chance that you'll garner a head or abdomen wound if you go there, okay? So that's where I was, Orange Mound. So I'm driving around in Orange Mound, and, and uh, there's... there's um, a, a, a lot of crack there, I'll just say that. And so I'm driving around in Orange Mound, and it's like you're seeing all these things take place, and you're getting really nervous, and the police are looking at me like, what are you doing down in here? And so I'm driving a, around in there, and I'm, I know I'm not in a good place. And so, but I looked up, and there was a saving word across the sky, and it said, St. Jude's Hospital. And I knew right then that St. Jude was on the edge of the highway. And if I could just get to that sign, I could get back on track and back to where I was going. And I want to bring that and make that a spiritual metaphor for just a, a, a moment. Sometimes when we don't know where we are, the best thing and the first thing to do is to look up, to just stop, to just see it, to, to wait a, a moment and to uh, look up. And so when is the last time? In your assessing of where you are, have you looked up, seen a Savior, and discovered where you are? And this is not something that is uncommon in Scripture as well. There's actually a story. We call it the prodigal son. And the thing I love about this story, one of my favorite sentences in the whole story is, is this verse, and he came to himself. I love it. Because there's this time where all of his money's gone, and you guys know the story. He's trying to eat what the pigs haven't eaten. That, that's, that's a low place. And so he's trying to eat uh, what, what the pigs have left over, and he's, he's slopping hogs, and he's, he's, all of his friends are gone. And suddenly, when he realized how stuck he was and how muddy he was and how the momentum of his life had ceased, the Bible says he came to himself. What am I doing? How did I get here? What is going on in my life? 
I mean, my, my father is great, and my life before this was, was great. It seems like just last month I was surrounded by friends and money, and I was popular, and I had, I had a life, and, and now, where, where am I? What is going on? He says he came to himself, and what was next for him was this, to go home. That was the next step. I got to get up out of this, and I got to go home. I want to pause here for just a minute, because some of you may be in that spot. That, that spiritually for you, I mean, you, you're not covered in mud, but you're muddy inside. You can walk around, you've got mobility, but spiritually, you're stuck. And your best and first step to what's next in your life is to come home. Is to surrender it all, is to give up some things, is to turn around, to make the 180, to come to yourself and come home. And that's your next step. And I want you to realize this, okay? Keep this in mind. I want, you to, I want this to be one of, of your takeaways from this morning. The children of, of Israel, th- think about this, were in bondage 400 years in slavery. This is approximately 14 generations of slaves. That every one of them who were alive, all they knew was slavery. And their grandfather knew slavery. And the grandfather before him knew slavery. And the grandfather before him knew slavery. It's all they knew was to be enslaved. So they turned, okay, when God let let them free out of Egypt to go to Canaan. I want you to look at this this afternoon when you study this out. It could have or should have taken them 11 days to make this journey. And they turned an 11-day journey into a 40-year lifestyle because they were not willing to trade slavery for sonship. They didn't know what it was like. What am I supposed to do? What's next for me? Who am I? They didn't know who they were in this transition. And so it's very important to who we are as followers of Jesus. What's going on right now in me, and how does that affect my next? Okay? Now listen, to put this in in perspective, you can walk in circles your entire life and still make it to heaven. Walking around in the desert, these millions of people did it for 40 years, and God was, was with them. You can go to heaven walking in circles. It has nothing to do with your eternal position, but everything to do with your earthly potential. You you can be a follower of Jesus and go through the motions, and you can come to church, and you can learn, and you, you can sit, and you cannot do anything with what you have in your hands, and it does not affect necessarily where you are going eternally, but has everything to do with your potential as a Christian. And so when we look at Jesus and him calling people out, leave that and come over here with me. 
Stop that and come over here with me. He's calling them out to what's next in, in, in their, their lives. The children of Israel could have stopped and stayed and survived at Sinai, but they would have never reached their greatest potential. I want you to listen to me for just a minute. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you are over the age of 40? Okay, don't be ashamed. Yeah, how many of you are over the age of 40? Raise it high, okay? Yeah, listen to me. Just like the children of, of Israel, I believe that the second half of your life is going to be better than the first half because God is going to show you what's next. Okay, God is going to show you this is what's next in your life. And sometimes when you hit 40 and 50 and 60 and you think, I'm going to start putting down the landing gear on this thing. I'm going to let somebody younger than, than me serve it. You know, you want to know what God said about Caleb and Joshua? He said, they have a different spirit. And he said, and so everybody who's 20 and younger is going to die out here in this desert except for Joshua and Caleb because they are different. And this is the man who drew a line in, in the sand and said, as for me and my house, we're serving Jesus. Now, you can do whatever you want, but I'm telling you what's about to go down in our house. That is just, just leadership, just passion for it. Many theologians believe he was in his 70s. When he went and said, no, I'm, I'm not finished. I'm going to take this land over here. There's some people over there I still got to run off. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of that for us. He had a lot of zeal. The second half of your life is going to be better than, than the first. Here's what happens oftentimes. We go home. We find this recliner. This is what we do spiritually. Is this Sunday yet? It's not okay. I'll pray when it's Sunday. Is it Sunday yet? Okay. I'll sing when it gets to Sunday. We become couch Christians because this is comfortable. And we say to ourselves, I don't, I don't want to do anything but this because if I stay here, nobody hurts me. If I stay here, I don't have to serve anywhere. If I stay here, I don't have to give anything. If I stay here, it's, it's easy. There's no challenge. There's no tip of the spear for me. I'm not having to fight anything through, push anything through, pray anything through. I can just, I can coast and be all right. And I want to challenge us this morning because can you do that? Yes, but it's boring. And when Jesus came to you and he said, listen, I've come that you might have life. It doesn't stop there. He says, I've come that you might have life more abundantly. This means this, that your life is going to be better than the unbeliever. Your life is going to be better because I'm involved in it. Your life is going to be fuller because you follow me. And it's going to be vibrant and full of joy and excitement. And it's an adventure. And somehow we've, 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 we've westernized it 
to where church becomes like everything else. It's quick. It's a drive-through. It's, it's, it's instant gratification. Give me what I need right now. And if I don't feel better um, about this or if God doesn't say this or that, if nothing changes for me, then I'll see you in a month and maybe then something will happen. No. He's saying, listen, if you're going to walk with me, walk with me. Be on this thing with me. Recently, um, the campus pastors went to Mount Magazine, and we, we rode four-wheelers um, for about nine hours on one day. Um, I've never wanted baby powder so bad. <laughs> An extra strength Tylenol, I'm telling you. And so we all were responsible for getting a four-wheeler up to Mount, Mount Magazine, and so I was blessed enough somebody in our church gave, bought, let, let me borrow one. And so we showed up, and, and a lot of our guys, listen to this, a lot of our guys showed up with brand new four-wheelers that they had borrowed from dealerships. Okay? We're good at, like, studying, praying, seeking God. Most of these guys are not in the woods on a daily basis. They showed up with stuff, $10,000, $12,000. Yeah, I got it. the guy told me it's right off the showroom. They're bragging about it. I'm like, this is going to be, you are dumb. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> so sure enough, exactly what you think is going on in your mind happened. They, they rolled them, flipped them, broke them in half. I mean, headlights popped out. We're picking fenders out of the creek. I mean, all kinds of things. I'm like, this is not going to be good, okay? So I called Brian when I got back. I was like, hey, listen, I want you to know something. I drove that four-wheeler in, and I drove it out because I'm a man. That's what I do. I take care of things. And he's like, whatever, thanks. Just drop it off. You know, I'm like, no, you're not understanding the context of my story here, okay? Here's, here's how I, I want to plug this in. It's important that you finish well. Okay? So those of you who are over the age of 40, I'm still talking to you for a minute. You need to finish this thing out strong. Don't take a spiritual vacation right now. Plug in, push, serve, teach, model, mentor, Pray, worship, give, keep on going, keep on teaching the next generation of what it means to serve God and do it joyfully. You got to finish well. The purpose of mountain climbing is not just to summit, it's to get back down. Can I get an amen? There's one guy I was reading about just last week. He, he would time himself to summit, and he was working on getting to Everest. And he knew, if I don't get it in this amount of time, i I, I got to turn back. And he was like 100 yards from reaching the top, but his timer went off. And he turned around and went back. And they asked him, why don't you just make a big push? And he said, because my body would still be up there. I have to finish well. It's that important that we continue to, to do the things that God is asking to do. What is next for us? Okay, the second thing. That was my first thing. I got two minutes left. <laughs> Y'all, I'm about to preach. This is about to get really fast. <laughs> All right, the second thing. Leaving your present requires his presence. 
Leaving your present requires his presence. Let me give you some word. Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. This is Moses praying. He says, now therefore I pray, show me now your way. What a great prayer. This is a guy who in the modern day times would have been on every cover of Matt. He would have been a best-selling author. He would have been the, the most sought-after conference speaker. I mean, this guy is parting water. Bread's falling from heaven. He's, he's slapping rocks and water's coming from it. I mean, he would have been a phenomenal conference speaker. And what does he do? In his humility, he says, God, show me your way. What do you want? From me. What do you want from these people? That's verse 13. Exodus 33 and 15, two verses later. Then he says to him, being Moses to God, if your presence, okay, watch this, because this verse has some teeth. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That's good. He's saying, Lord, if you're not going, you leave me right here. I don't want to go anywhere that you are not. I don't care what the next chapter looks like. If you're not in it, I don't want to go. You have to go with me. So what's next for us as a church, as a people, as a family, as individuals, as students, as seniors, is where is the presence of God leading us? That's what's next. Okay? Now listen, Moses knew if we go without God, we're going to live a mediocre existence. And all these people are going to get married, and they're going to have 2.5 children, they're going to have two cars and a mortgage, and completely settle for some version of comfort. But if you go with us, we're going to conquer lands, we're going to see miracles, we're going to give, live life abundantly, and everything we do is going to be pressed down, shaken together, and running over if you go with us. This is why it becomes an adventure. If this becomes a history book, we're going to get bored really fast. But if it becomes the life source of who we are as believers, we have to buckle up because that means God is going to do something amazing in us. Number three, Sinai has to be a rest stop, not a residence. Sinai has to be a place of rest, not a residence. When you stay at Sinai, you get lazy, you get complacent, you stop dreaming, seeking, knocking, expecting. And this is, if I had time, I would explain it. But in a, in a nutshell, this was the first semblance of normalcy these guys had. They're camping around Sinai. God's talking to them. They're having a family, not a family life. They're not slaves. They're discovering what it means to be independent. They're discovering what it means to have sonship. And God tells them, it's time to go. You got to move. I have a what's next for you. Okay, yeah, the Red Sea was great. Yeah, man is great. Pillar of fire, great. Cloud, great. Water from a rock, great. All these things are great, but I I'm not done with you. And so here's what I would say to this. Don't camp out in your testimony. I've been saved 25 years, and that's where you stopped. 25 years ago is suddenly in your mind and heart the apex of what God wanted to do in you. 
No, the greatest thing God wants to do in you is in your tomorrows. You know, those, those were the good old days. You know, those, those, those were great days before we had lights and smoke and David played an electric guitar. Before it was so loud in here. Those were the good old days. Remember that? The guy would get up and he'd open the blue hymnal and say, everybody turn to page 150. Oh, I want to see him. How many of you want to see him? They're so good, so rich. Before we passed the offering in a KFC chicken bucket, we, we used the really nice velvet bags. Had the little oak handles on it. It passed. It said, what is that, velvet? It was so nice. I loved walking in, into church and I could actually see my seat. Now they want it so dark in there. What are they doing in that church? <laughs> Come on, y'all, loosen up, you stiff-necked people. Those are some great times, right? And we camp out there. And so some of you, you are stuck in like 1978. And, and you don't care what God's doing right now. And God has said, I need you to leave Sinai. Go. Go on. I know it was good. It was great. I saw you there. You did a lot of miracles. I changed your life there. You were transformed there. I changed your children's lives there. But I got so much more. Sinai cannot be a residence. Listen, David, when he saw Bathsheba, he was supposed to be at war. Had he been at war, it wouldn't have happened. But he was bored. Uzzah reached out and touched the ark with zero expectations. And he was a priest. Why? Because he was bored. Gideon talked to an angel of the Lord and said, you got the wrong guy. Judas, so close. So far away. Bored. Just like these examples, every single one of us have a Sinai. We got to walk away from it. We got to walk away from it. Because you've stopped serving and you've stopped giving and you've stopped believing. And somehow, for some of you, you said, hey, you know what? We're not in a carpet store anymore. We got a brand new building. God's finished. No, he's not. He's just getting started with what he wants us to do in this community. Sinai's are great experiences. They're part of our story. The velvet bags and the lit buildings and stages without haze. It was all part of our story, but that's all it was, was a part of the story. There's a new page, and you're on it. i got to end because I'm running out of time. Number four, listening is a learned behavior. If you want to know what God has for you next, you got to listen. You got to listen. You got to listen. When we were taught to pray, most of us were taught to do two, two things. Give thanks and then ask. So our prayers that, that were modeled to us were always like, Father, we just 
We thank you. You're a good God. We love you. And we would begin to give thanks for him. Thank you for the food. Thank you for this home. Thank you for the life that you've provided. Thank you for resource and thank you for the healing. And then we would ask God for stuff. God, and we would, you know, I have not because I ask not. So, Lord, I ask you today for a job change. Lord, we just need it. My family needs it. I can provide. God, I, 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 I need this. God, I really want this house. And, God, I really need a relationship. I'm tired of being lonely. I, I, I need a friend. I need somebody to fall in love with. I need, and so we would ask, ask, ask. But nobody taught us how to listen. To just sit in his presence and hear. To just get our spirit in tune with him. And just listen. To know what's next, we have to hear from God. And so we have to deafen ourselves to some voices so that more important voices can be heard. Now watch this. I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Exodus chapter 33, verse 22 and 23. This is God talking back to Moses, and he says, So it it shall be. While my glory passes by, I want you to catch the magnitude of this. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then I'll take away my hand. And you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. There's a biblical principle that weaves its way from Genesis to Revelation. Probably one of the biggest takeaway principles in Scripture. And it's this. Getting behind to go beyond. It's, it's a huge biblical principle. I'm going to get behind a vision so I can, I can go forward. I'm going to get behind God so I can go forward. And the reason God showed Moses his back, stay with me, give me 30 seconds, is because it was an answer to his prayer, show me now your way. When you are seeing the back of God, you've got a prime opportunity to do some following. Because if you see his back, that means he's going somewhere and you have an opportunity to get in behind him. Moses prayed, show me now now your way. Moses, he said, listen, I'm going to put you in cleft and rock. I'm going to pass by you and then you're going to see my, my back. I'm showing you where to go. Showing you the way. And for some of you this morning, man, you, you have given up on this. You, you have abandoned it. Church is another thing that, that, that you do. You've turned relationship with God into religion. And it, it's all in your mind and heart just twisted up. And you, you're having trouble muddling through it. And you'd never say out loud, I'm bored. Because it feels disrespectful to you. But if we peel back all the layers to that, that's exactly what's going on. I'm bored. I'm stuck. I'm muddy. Uh, The momentum of my life has ceased. And God wants to reveal to you what's next. And he wants you to see what's next for your home and what's next for you personally and what's next for you as it relates to our church. But we gotta learn learn to listen. We gotta we gotta leave some Sinai's behind. 
and know that our better days were not in some yesteryear, but they're in our tomorrows. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning and